Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. So the plan I had for the episode that was going to be released today was very different than what I'm actually going to be talking about, but I decided to change my plan in light of current events. So in 2022 alone, in the United States, we have had over 200 mass shootings, which equates to over one per day. Based on current trends between the time I record this episode and it is actually released, there are going to be at least 10 more mass shootings in our country. If you want to keep up with mass shootings in the United States, you can go to the Gun Violence Archive. I will um, link that in the show notes. Um, And to put even more perspective on it, I am recording this episode 11 days after the shooting at Robb Elementary. Since that shooting, we have had 22 more mass shootings in the United States, including the one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that killed five people. One of the doctors who was killed actually did her residency at the hospital I work at. So thus, for this episode, I felt that mass shootings, particularly as they relate to mental health, needed to be talked about. I have made numerous posts on my Instagram and TikTok so far about mass shootings since the one at um, Buffalo Supermarket and their relation to mental health, and I've received a lot of good questions and engaged in a lot of good conversation around the topic of mass shootings and mental health. So I figured I would make a podcast episode where I can speak on the topic longer and more thoroughly and get across more clearly and comprehensively the information I was conveying on social media. I want you all to know that this episode is going to be research heavy as when dealing with such a delicate topic, I want to ensure that my information is up to date and accurate. As always, I will be taking a balanced approach, trying to comprehensively look at what the recent data says. I am also solely focusing on mental health. I will not be getting into the research on gun reform, gun control, or any other non-mental health issues related to mass shootings. I do want to acknowledge, however, that mass shootings are complex. There is not one reason they occur. Thus, by focusing only on mental health, I don't want you to leave this podcast episode thinking I don't recognize the complexity of such. I do. And as I am a psychologist, I want to stay in my lane and focus on the topic I am most knowledgeable about and familiar with. I will also link in the show notes to um, all the research that I am getting my information from in case anyone is interested in reading and learning more directly from the articles. 
So before we talk specifically about mass shootings, uh, which is usually defined as a shooting in which a minimum of four people are victims of gun violence, however, definitions vary, and some will include like four deaths or four deaths within a 24-hour period. But before we get into that, I want to briefly talk about gun violence in the United States. So the United States is among the world's leaders in global mortality from firearms. While the global rates of gun violence have decreased since 2003, the prevalence of gun violence in the United States remains unchanged. Firearms are currently the leading cause of death for children, ages 1 and older, in the United States. Firearm homicides saw a 33.4% increase in rate from 2019 to 2020, whereas firearm suicides increased by 1.1%. Gun violence in the United States disproportionately affects young Black and Latino men. Deaths due to mass shootings compromise less than 1% of all firearm-related mortality in the United States each year. However, the toll of mass shootings on individuals who directly experience it, their peers, their loved ones, and society as a whole is likely substantial due to the uniquely traumatizing and threatening nature of these events. Additionally, when examining mass shooting trends, mass shootings are becoming more frequent and are getting deadlier. Mass shootings most frequently occur in the South, followed by the West. While mass shootings may appear to be random, over 70% of mass shooters knew at least one of their victims. Of mass shootings that are motivated by hate, 14% are motivated by racism. 77.2% of mass shooters in the United States use handguns, and 25.1% use assault rifles. 77% of mass shooters purchase their guns legally, 13% obtain them illegally, and 19% steal them. So the big question um, and how I'm going to really dive into this topic of mass shootings and mental health are mass shootings caused by mental illness. So when a mass shooting happens, one of the first things that is said, other than thoughts and prayers, is that the shooter was mentally ill. There is always a social media debate over if mass shootings are a mental health problem or a gun problem. I posted this in one of my various posts on social media, but the reality is we have both. There is clearly a mental health crisis in the United States. With lack of access to services, more people needing mental health care than ever, mental health professional burnout, etc. And the mental health crisis is not solely responsible for the mass shootings we see. So population level evidence suggests that those with mental illness are no more likely than anyone else to commit gun crimes. According to the National Council for Behavioral Health, best estimates are that individuals with mental illness are responsible for less than 4% of violent crimes in the United States, and less than a third of people who commit mass shootings are diagnosably mentally ill. Databases that track gun homicides, such as the National Center for Health Statistics, similarly show that fewer than 5% of the 120,000 gun-related killings in the United States between 2001 and 2010 were perpetrated by people diagnosed with a mental illness. 
However, we know with research, there is going to be variability across studies, which is why any good researcher will never use the word proves or any variation of that word, because we know science doesn't prove anything. It supports or suggests certain outcomes. If you have listened to any of my podcast episodes, I like to keep the research I share balanced. Thus, I'm also going to share research that includes very different numbers. So for example, Studies by Fulman and Lankford suggest that up to 60% of perpetrators of mass shootings in the United States since 1970 displayed symptoms, including acute paranoia, delusions, and depression before committing their crimes. Similarly, the Violence Project found that 67.7% of mass shooters had some type of mental health history. I want to note, as I will go into in a few seconds here, mental health history is broadly defined and includes things from diagnosed disorders to general counseling. I also want to note that we all have mental health, thus technically we all have a mental health history. Mental illness and mental health are not the same thing, and unfortunately people use the two interchangeably. We all have mental health like we all have physical health, but we don't all have mental illness, just like we all don't have physical illness. I do want to praise and thank the Violence Project, though, because despite the high prevalence they found, they do note that this is not much different from the 50% of individuals that have a lifetime history of mental health disorders in the general population. And then they comment, that just because someone has a mental health history does not mean that history is the cause of the violence. So when we look at more specific numbers, the Violence Project examined 167 mass shootings in the United States between 1966 and 2019. In their findings, they found that 19% of mass shooters in their study were previously hospitalized for psychiatric reasons, 25% have participated in counseling, 20% had taken psychotropic medication, which is consistent with psychotropic medication use among the general population, 23% of mass shooters had a mood disorder, which is also consistent with lifetime prevalence of mood disorders in the general population, and 26% had a thought disorder. This number is substantially higher than what we see among the general population. Interestingly, they also found that mental health history varies by location of the mass shooting. For example, 89% of college and university mass shooters had a mental health history, compared to only 50% of restaurant mass shooters. They also found that 15.8% of mass shooters were partially motivated by psychosis. However, although this may seem significant, that is less than the percentage motivated by employment issues, interpersonal conflict, and hate. Some mental health conditions, such as depression and substance use disorder, in addition to symptoms such as hopelessness, paranoia, delusions, and suicidality, make up a small percentage of the overall risk factors related to violence. While it is an important subset, it's also important not to overstate the role of mental illness in assessing the likelihood of an individual perpetrating an act of targeted violence or a mass shooting. I think it's also important to note that when the media labels a mass shooter as, quote, mentally ill, people tend to think of severe mental illness like schizophrenia or delusional disorders. 
Although several studies suggest that subgroups of persons with severe or untreated mental illness might be at increased risk for violence in periods surrounding psychotic episodes or psychiatric hospitalizations, other researchers argue that the connection between severe mental illness and violence acts have been overstated. Further, it's important to remember that a number of the most common psychiatric diagnoses, including depressive anxiety and attention deficit disorders, have no correlation with violence whatsoever. And community studies find that serious mental illness without substance abuse is also statistically unrelated to community violence. So yes, mental illness may be a factor in some mass shootings, However, we cannot blame mass shootings solely on mental illness. It is also important to note that someone may have a history of mental health concerns and that be unrelated to the mass shooting itself. Additionally, I want to note that risk is exponentially greater that individuals with serious mental illness will be assaulted by others rather than the other way around with individuals with serious mental illness being three times more likely to experience violence than perpetrate violence. For example, people diagnosed with schizophrenia have victimization rates 65 to 130% higher than those of the general public and are at least 14 times more likely to be victims of a violent crime than be arrested for one. So next, I want to talk about the problem with blaming mass shootings on mental illness. So the notion that mental illness causes gun violence stereotypes a vast and diverse population of persons diagnosed with psychiatric conditions and oversimplifies links between violence and mental illness. It also contributes to stigma and gives an inaccurate picture of the vast majority of people who carry a mental health diagnosis. Further, by overemphasizing the presence of a mental health diagnosis in violence risk or threat assessment, it actually increases the risk that individuals with mental illness will be the target of violence. So put in more simplistic terms, by the media portraying those with mental illness as, as violent, it increases the likelihood that they will be victims of violence. I also think it's common for the public to search for a simple explanation, for example, mental illness, and a solution to a complex problem, rather than looking at the multitude of factors that likely lead to the mass shooting. The media does a disservice to the public when the presence of mental illness is emphasized over other risk factors. When people are scared or ignorant about a cause of violence, they show a disproportionate fear and turn to the most available narrative to explain why the violence occurred. This drives far more fear and attention, perpetuating the cycle of stigma. So a question I get a lot is, how can someone who commits a match shooting not be mentally ill? And I've gotten this question a lot. I see it a lot on the internet. And so I want to talk about it. So when I or other mental health professionals talk about mental illness, we are talking about a diagnosable mental disorder that is found in the DSM or the ICD. I also believe that most people think the terms mentally ill and mentally sane are opposites because one could argue that no sane person 
would commit such heinous acts. So the term sane means sound of mind. So of sound mind. It can also mean sensible or reasonable. So yes, we can argue that individuals who commit mass murder are not being sensible or reasonable, but it does not mean that they are necessarily mentally ill. So I'm going to use myself as an example. I carry a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. An anxiety disorder is a mental illness. I would argue that most people who know me would also say I am sane. You can disagree if you know me personally, (laughs) but I have a PhD. I hold a job. I'm a wife, a mother. I own a house. I pay my bills on time, etc. Mental illness and mental sanity can occur at the same time. Therefore, they're not necessarily opposite. Just because someone is not sane does not mean they are mentally ill. I would think that most of us would argue that yes, perpetrators of mass murders have quote, something wrong with them or are not what society would deem as reasonable. But there are many possibilities to why that is outside of labeling someone as mentally ill. Thus, I think we first need to recognize, as I have already pointed out, that mentally sane and mentally ill are not necessarily opposites. And second, that just because someone commits a heinous act or heinous crime and we deem that something is, quote, wrong with them, that does not mean the thing that led them to commit the act is a mental illness. I also want to point out that individuals can have a mental illness and commit a crime and the two not be related. If you've done any research class, you know that correlation does not equal causation. So using myself as an example again, I have anxiety. And if I committed a crime, this is all hypothetical. I'm putting that disclaimer out there, say of like robbing a bank. It is unlikely that my anxiety made me do that. If anything, my anxiety would probably hold me back from robbing a bank. So yes, media could label me as quote, mentally ill because I have an anxiety disorder and blame the hypothetical bank robbery on that. But the reality is that doesn't actually make a lot of sense. The two can coexist and be unrelated. So by making connections between the two that aren't there, just further perpetuates the media perception that those with diagnosable mental health conditions are harmful and dangerous. Further, even if the individual has a mental illness that may be a contributing factor in the mass shooting, it is just that, a contributing factor. Thus, the mental health diagnosis itself should not be the focus. Rather, it's important to assess the additional risk factors for violence, which I will talk about next. So, The question is, then, what causes violence, violent crime, and mass shooters? So as I start this next section of the podcast, it is important to remember that risk factors, factors that increase the likelihood of a certain outcome, do not necessarily mean the outcome will occur. Someone can have a multitude of risk factors for violent crime, yet never go on to commit a crime. Someone... um, or I guess it's important to also remember that no one thing causes gun violence, violent crime, or mass shootings. It is often a multitude of factors that interact to produce an outcome. So credible studies suggest that a number of risk factors more strongly correlate with gun violence than mental illness alone. 
For instance, alcohol and drug use increase the risk of violent crime by as much as sevenfold, even among persons with no mental health history. Many risk factors for violence are associated with mental health conditions, and they also occur in the absence of a formal diagnosis. For example, poor stress tolerance, impulse control problems, substance abuse, hopelessness, desperation, and social isolation are risk factors for violence that occur both with and without a mental illness diagnosis. Thus, the issue is not the mental health disorder itself, but rather how individual risk factors for violence manifest and interact with other biopsychosocial factors. So a history of childhood abuse, binge drinking, unemployment, and male gender are all predictive risk factors for serious violence. Other risk factors for gun violence include, but are not limited to, history of early aggression, hostility, low self-control, poor future orientation, access to guns, perceived personal rewards uh, to the crime, and exposure to violence. A number of studies suggest that laws and policies that enable firearm access during emotionally charged moments also seem to correlate with gun violence more strongly than mental illness alone. Studies have also found that homicide is more common in areas where household firearm ownership was higher, and states with high rates of gun ownership had disproportionately high numbers of deaths from firearm-related homicides. With regard to mass shootings specifically, reports argue that mental illness might be underdiagnosed in people who commit random school shootings. The specific motivator for offenders that commit mass murders are often not studied, mainly because the offender typically dies at the scene, so it's difficult to know exactly why someone commits a mass shooting. However, of the data that we do have, mass shootings committed between 2015 and 2019 uh, found that the top motivators for mass shootings were misogyny, domestic issues, and race. 98% of mass shooters are male, and 52% are white. Some correlates of mass shooters include owning a gun, having a traumatizing childhood full of violence, reaching a crisis point of wanting to die, thinking they have been victimized, and studying other mass shooters. When examining school shooters specifically, psychological influences such as narcissism, lack of empathy, inconsistent caregivers, and other family trauma, in addition to social influences such as access to weapons, demands from parents, failed military aspirations, and sibling rivalry were all found. The Violence Project database found that 63.7% of mass shooters had a prior criminal record and 579 had a violent history. Additionally, 80% of mass shooters were in a crisis prior to the shooting, noted by those around them by marked change in behavior. Rather than focusing on mental illness as a useful metric to assess violence, Malloy and colleagues in 2011 identified the following warning behaviors to attend to when assessing a potential threat of mass violence. Pathway warning behavior, fixation, identification, novel aggression, energy burst, leakage, last resort, and directly communicating the threat. Similarly, Lankford focuses on a triad of risk factors, 
including suicidal motives and life indifference, perceived victimization, and desires for attention or fame. He suggests looking for risk factors such as leakage, psychological fixation, planning and preparation, identification with other mass shooters or extremists, acquisition of weapons, experience of financial loss, crisis, or legal problem, giving away prized possessions, disconnection from loved ones, or anticipated crisis they seek to escape. So there is no specific profile for a mass shooter, but there are several common profiles depending on where the shooting took place. For example, for K-12 shooters, the perpetrator tends to be a white male student of the school with a history of trauma who is suicidal, leaks his plan ahead of time, has a high degree of planning, has an interest in guns, and steals the guns from family members. However, as we know from the most recent school shooting in Texas, just because there is a common profile does not mean it will always be 100% accurate. It is interesting when examining the profiles that the Violence Project laid out, um, when examining K-12, college and university, workplace, house of worship, and restaurant, bar, or retail shooters, common themes that emerged among all perpetrators of mass shooters include a history of violence, history of trauma, and a criminal record, with a history of violence being the most common characteristic. So I wanted to highlight this because in no profile was there a specific mental illness that is commonly seen in mass shooters. So one question I have received a lot over the past couple weeks since the Rob Elementary shooting is about trauma and mass shooters. And as I just said in that last little section, that a history of trauma seems to be a common theme um, that a number of mass shooters um, have experienced. So the Violence Project found that 31% of mass shooters experience severe childhood trauma. And this percentage increases to 68% when specifically looking at K-12 shooters. Much of the aggression literature has centered on how childhood trauma, generally physical abuse, may serve as a critical gateway to later violent behavior, and cross-sectional and longitudinal studies have demonstrated that childhood trauma is a risk factor for aggression throughout the lifespan. Childhood trauma exposure has been linked with several violence risk factors, including weapon ownership and carrying, criminal justice involvement, impulsivity, and aggression. Survivors of childhood trauma have been found to have higher rates of delinquency, criminal behavior, and arrests compared to their non-trauma-exposed counterparts. Researchers have also found that childhood domestic violence and community violence exposure are associated with increased gun violence involvement. From my literature review, though, it seems that there needs to be more research done on trauma history and those who perpetrate mass shootings specifically. However, from the literature we have so far, it is likely that at least for some perpetrators of gun violence, a history of trauma may play a role. Like anything, however, we cannot pinpoint and blame one factor as not everyone who has experienced trauma goes on to perpetrate gun violence. Um, And I think this just speaks to the theme that I hope anyone listening is picking up on is that gun violence, mass shootings uh, are related to a multitude of factors. So another question that may come up um, when talking about mental health and gun violence is can mental health care reduce instances of mass shootings? So enhanced psychiatric attention may well prevent 
particular crimes. But from my literature review, we don't have evidence that strongly supports the relation between early intervention, mental health intervention, and prevention of mass shootings as it has not been thoroughly researched from what I could find. However, mass shootings often shed light on the need for more investment in mental health support networks, as well as improved state laws and procedures regarding gun access. Thus, it's possible that with better access to mental health care, instances of mass shootings or gun violence, more generally speaking, may be reduced. So in this context, the priority of psychiatric assessment in clinical settings should be to identify treatable psychiatric illnesses, even those which may not appear to directly contribute to violence risk. Um, The question some people might be thinking, but if mass shootings are not due to mental illness, will mental health care help? And my answer is yes. Just because someone does not have a mental illness does not mean they can't benefit from mental health care. For example, anger and violence are not mental illnesses, but we know that those are risk factors for gun violence. A variety of factors may contribute to someone being angry or violent, such as trauma, exposure to violence, ineffective communication skills, etc. Trauma, learning coping and communication skills, de-escalation techniques, etc. can all be addressed in therapy even if someone does not meet criteria for a mental illness. Thus, a secondary goal of psychiatric treatment would be to identify other dynamic or modifiable risk factors for violence and, when possible, offer interventions. So these may be psychosocial risk factors such as homelessness, employment, or financial stressors, medical concerns, whether they are directly or indirectly contributing to violence risk, or even personality or cognitive issues such as rigid or inflexible thinking. So... The next thing I wanted to talk about is the impact of mass shootings on mental health. So when the conversation of mass shootings and mental illness comes up, it's typically in a unidirectional manner, meaning that we blame mass shootings on mental illness. Rarely does the discussion of the impact of mass shootings on mental health come up. Thus, I wanted to spend some time discussing the impact of mass shootings on mental health. So broadly speaking, exposure to gun violence in youth is associated with a variety of psychological outcomes, including anger, withdrawal, post-traumatic stress, intrusive thoughts, sleep disturbance, difficulty concentrating, poorer academic performance, worsened interpersonal relationships, hypervigilance, an exaggerated startle response, anxiety, and recurring thoughts about the trauma. It should be noted that Children do not have to directly experience gun violence to develop symptoms of traumatic stress, so they could hear about it through a friend, see it on TV, etc. The degree of exposure, the relationship with the victim, and the presence of other risk factors such as a pre-existing mental health condition influence the severity of the lasting psychological effects of gun violence. The psychological effects of gun violence are especially serious for children and youth who are physically injured by the gun violence. Limited research over the past two decades has begun to examine the short-term direct and indirect effects of mass shootings on survivors and the broader community. Individual responses of survivors can include anxiety, depression, grief, sleep problems, anger, demoralization, catastrophic thinking, and somatic symptoms. 
A review of 49 articles on independent samples of survivors and members of affected communities in the aftermath of 15 mass shooting incidents identified prevalence estimates of up to 91% for post-traumatic stress disorder and up to 71% for major depression, depending on the assessment timing and measurement instrument. For youth, Mental health outcomes of mass shootings are significant and include post-traumatic stress, suicide, depression, substance use, and anxiety. It is also important to note that the same mass shooting event can cause vastly different reactions in individuals depending on a multitude of factors, including physical uh, proximity, so like the location, if the mass shooting occurred in your neighborhood versus in your state versus just in your country. Emotional, for example, knowing someone who had died or being physically injured yourself. Um, And degree of proximity, which tends to be some of the strongest predictors of outcomes. Learning about a close friend or loved one's death in a mass shooting is associated with heightened risk of a range of untoward mental health outcomes. Immediate community responses can include mass panic, loss of cohesion, and widespread anxiety. There are also a lot of variety of factors that are significant predictors of adverse mental health outcomes after a mass shooting, including being of the female gender, lower socioeconomic status, lower education level, how events are perceived and remembered, media exposure, having higher levels of guilt, resentment, insecurity, and anxiety sensitivity at baseline, beliefs that the events are random and uncontrollable, punitive attitudes towards crime, ruminative and avoiding coping styles, and fewer social resources. Although little is known about the longer-term effects of mass shootings on individuals, physical and emotional sequel of mass shootings may lead to an array of symptoms and disability among affected individuals and communities who will likely experience lifelong consequences by carrying long-term memories of devastation, violence, injuries, and death. So... The last thing I'm going to talk about other than just kind of summarizing what I think are the key points are like future directions. I could not possibly identify all the things that need to be done to decrease the risk of mass shootings in the United States in a single podcast episode, mainly because there are probably a number of things I've not thought of. And this episode really only focused on mental health, which is just one of many areas we need to address when it comes to mass shootings or gun violence in general as I said at the beginning of this episode. Thus, when I'm talking about future directions, I'm only going to talk really about things related to mental health. Know that because I'm not discussing things such as gun reform does not mean I do not think it would be beneficial. There is scientific evidence that suggests it actually does help. I am just specifically focusing on mental health. So first and foremost, I think it's important that we have increased access to mental health care. This can look like a variety of things, including but not limited to better healthcare access overall and mental health coverage with insurance, increased reimbursement rates for mental health professionals, less barriers to getting paneled with insurance, and less paperwork for filing claims so more therapists are willing to take insurance, in turn increasing access to care, annual mental health screenings similar to how we do annual physical exams, and trauma-informed programs in schools, universities, workplaces, as well as parenting classes. With regard to children and young adults who perpetuate gun violence, parents can closely monitor their children's behavior, environment, and media use, 
assessing for risk factors that were previously discussed in this episode and intervening um, through things like mental health care, if accessible, community-based programs, etc., may help reduce instances of gun violence. Schools can identify and target services towards students who may be at risk for perpetrating gun violence, but they must be careful not to create a climate of fear. Um, mental health workers can develop and implement intervention programs that health u- help youth cope with gun violence. When discussing mental health when a mass shooting happens, changing the focus from the diagnosis or the term mentally ill to discussing the compounding risk factors and behaviors Um, This will help reduce the stigma around mental illness and increase public knowledge of risk factors and warning signs to look for. More comprehensive risk assessment for violent behavior uh, administered by trained professionals may identify those prone to violence and interventions can be done to reduce violent risk. After a mass shooting does occur, allowing yourself to feel anything that comes up for you, turning off the news and engaging in coping skills can help protect your mental health. If you have children, it is important to talk to your kids about the mass shooting, particularly if it is a school shooting, to help them process the events, ensure they are receiving accurate information, and create that environment of safety, all of which will protect their mental health. I did a whole episode on my friend Justin's podcast, Drop In with Dr. J, on talking to kids about trauma and specifically school shootings. So I will link that episode in the show notes for you to listen to um, if interested. But briefly, some tips about talking with your children about mass shootings include asking what they have heard, following their lead, answering their questions, being objective, gently correcting any misinformation they share, validate their feelings, don't overshare details that they may not want to or be ready to hear, focus on the secure attachment between you and your child, provide reassurance and safety, and check in on your own anxieties when having the conversation. Further, um, with regard to future directions for individuals directly exposed to gun violence or mass shootings, there is evidence that mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, which is a therapeutic intervention, may improve outcomes as well as other forms of therapy if accessible. So in conclusion, mental illness is not the cause of mass shootings. It is much more complex than boiling it down to a single issue. Associating mass shootings to mental illness perpetuates the stigma surrounding mental health concerns and causes unnecessary fear, increasing the likelihood that those with mental illness will be victims of violence. Even if the perpetrator of a mass shooting does have a history of mental illness, we need to look at how that diagnosis interacts with other factors as the vast majority of individuals with a diagnosable mental illness never go on to engage in violence. Things such as trauma, a history of violence, and criminal history, and access to guns are all risk factors for violent acts. However, like with mental illness, no one of those things individually will predict who will commit a mass shooting. Mass shootings do, however, impact the mental health of those who experience them. The relationship between mental health and mass shootings thus is bi-directional not unidirectional as we tend to see in the media. And lastly, there is not one thing alone that will reduce the instances of mass shootings. And although there is not a lot of literature examining 
if early mental health intervention will reduce the likelihood that someone becomes a perpetrator of mass shootings, it is plausible that early mental health intervention may reduce violent risk and subsequent gun violence. So I know today's episode was really heavy. Um, I thought it was really important to talk about. I appreciate you all listening to today's episode. I hope you learned something. I learned a lot. Um, I spent many, many hours reading articles and doing um, research for this episode. Like I said, I will link all the articles. I'm actually going to make a blog post with links to all the articles. um, So they'll all be easily found in one area if anybody is interested in reading them. And feel free to share this episode with anyone who you think would be interested or needs to hear it. Um, And hopefully we will see change soon because this is my, my personal opinion, but my assumption is a lot of people will agree with me that something needs to change because what we are doing right now is not working. The fact that we have so many mass shootings in our country so many school shootings and how we are seeing an increase in these shootings is unacceptable and way too many lives are being lost uh, to this. So I appreciate you all taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. And as always, I appreciate you all and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.